Good evening, everyone. It's a real honour and a privilege to be able to speak here tonight. Um, thankful for Pastor Lloyd for giving us this opportunity, trusting me with this. I'm not really that comfortable doing this, but that's okay, because uh, I know many people have been praying, and I've received some text uh, during today, just different people saying they were praying for me, and um, I'm very grateful for that. And um, tonight, uh, I want to speak about lessons from the rich young man. Um, if you've been saved for any length of time, you've no doubt heard about the time when Jesus met with a rich young man. Like all the lessons and parables that Jesus taught, there is so much that we can learn from this particular encounter as well. It would have been truly wonderful to experience Jesus himself explaining parables uh, and then the applications as his disciples were able to experience on a daily basis. But the blessings of today is we have his word in complete form that we can study from, we can learn from, and that truly is a blessing for us. And sometimes what happens, and I experienced this as I prepared this message, uh, you learn more and more about what Jesus was saying and you get new applications from the word and that helps us so much in our Christian walk. So when this rich young man ran up to Jesus, uh, the discussion that was recorded, recorded, it holds so much value for us and it gives us a great insight into the mind of Christ. And these insights, they have a direct impact on our Christian walk today. And there are many practical outwalkings. And tonight, I've just got three that I want to cover. So please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And I'll read from verses 17 uh, through to 31. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honour thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. 
but many that are first shall be last, and the last first. So as I just said, preaching is way out of my comfort zone tonight, but tonight I just want to speak from my heart and try and give, give um, your dear people just something that God's given to me and actually he's taught me over many years. Uh, this is going to be very familiar to a lot of you, but perhaps tonight something that I'll say might just be able to help someone who's going through a bit of a tough patch that you find yourself in. Uh, I normally are talking to a much smaller group, whether it's my adult class or in a home group, but there must be a reason that Pastor Lloyd's asked me to speak now. And um, I, I ask you that you would pray for me and with me now, and then we'll look at three points I have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity now to um, have a look at your word and, and learn from this rich young man. Thank you for all the lessons that you gave us, and we thank you above all for Jesus and how he died and suffered and bled for us, Lord. We pray, Lord, now tonight that you would uh, help me, help me to speak clearly, and I pray, Father, that everything I say would come from you and that you'd be pleased with that. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So my first point from, from this story is rest assured that you are loved. We see in the verse, uh, in chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. So this young man had come up to Jesus. He'd come running up to him, and, um, and, and they'd gone through that little discourse that they had. And um, after the young man answers Jesus, Jesus looks at him, he beholds him, and he loves him. And the love that Jesus has for you does not depend on your upbringing, your social status, your wealth, or your education. He loves you regardless of what or who you are. And anyone that comes to him truly asking and, and, and wanting to um, seek from him, he does respond to in love. Jesus responded to the woman at the well in love. Jesus responded to the thief on the cross in love. And Jesus responded to this man in love. In fact, Jesus had just finished rebuking the disciples for trying to get rid of children who wanted to see Jesus. He loved people of all ages. Now, this, this rich young man, he seemed to have an excellent upbringing, and seemingly Jesus agreed with him when he told Jesus about his youth. He was eager to learn and speak to Jesus because in the passage it says he came running. He did not want to miss this chance to speak to Jesus. And not only that, he was respectful and he kneeled. He called him master. This was a genuine young man, and there are many genuine young people today seeking answers and the best place to go is straight to Jesus, just like this young person did. For myself, um, I guess I'm going to share a fair bit about myself tonight and just a little bit about my upbringing. And for myself, and maybe a lot of people who are, who are listening tonight, um, I can relate to this young man. Um, I, I grew up in an independent Baptist church, and that was this church. I've been here for something like 32 years. Um, so I grew up in this church, I grew up doing Sunday school, I grew up in Wana. I grew up in youth group, I went to the Christian school, um, I had a loving mother and father, other family members, I had pastors who taught me well, and um, I guess in the outward sense I never went off the rails really, in my outward actions that is, but my heart was a very different story. Now in my upbringing I, I wouldn't want to change that for anything, I'm, I was very blessed to get what I got. And, um, but my heart, there was other things going on there. So you see, what was happening was my life as a young person had been a life of someone who was very judgmental and I was quite unaccepting of anyone who didn't fit my idea of what a good Christian was. My padded upbringing and biblical knowledge, it made me self-righteous. And I was full of pride because I thought I knew what the key to being blessed was. 
I had an attitude very similar to Jonah who thought he knew who God should bless or who he should destroy. And that's purely because I thought I had it all together. I displayed a lot of pride and slowly God started working on me when I hit the workforce and also in my later years of high school where I was exposed to other Christians from other churches. I was amazed that there were people who were far better Christians than me who went to other churches (laughs) and they weren't independent Baptists. I used to think you couldn't possibly be pleasing God if you didn't outwork your faith the way that I thought you should. You notice there's lots of eyes here, not Jesus. (laughs) God used this time though in my life and he made me realise how blessed I was to have such a strong foundation firstly of Bible knowledge that I got through my family, through my church, through my upbringing but he also showed me how I was not living it out like I should have been. People who knew far less about God's word and, and, um, and the principles therein, they were having way more impact for God on people than I was. And this was very humbling. And I was too busy judging them because they couldn't you know, quote the books of the Bible in order or perhaps their church sung a few too many choruses and that was my problems. So I don't know, maybe some of you can relate to this and have experienced the same thing. But you know what? God was loving me by showing me these things. And it was going to be up to me if I was going to make those required changes in my thinking and in my actions. Perhaps you are the opposite and you never grasped the importance of having good, sound biblical knowledge and you thought that, hey, anything goes as long as you're genuine. But it doesn't matter where you find yourself, it's unbalanced and the consequences of that are never good. So, But what we do see here is that Jesus was displaying his love for this young man, firstly by listening to him. He let him say, he let him speak. And just like when we go to God in prayer, he listens to us. And not only that, when we struggle to say what we need to say, the Holy Spirit helps us. You can rest assured that God knows what you're trying to say when you're genuine. And he helps us in our darkest times. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verses 25 to 30, it gives us some insight here. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. God wants us to be made more and more like Jesus. If you're saved, then one thing's for sure, you need to be striving to be more like Christ every single day. God helps us with that. And this rich young man was about to experience the love of Christ in a way that he was not expecting. Jesus was going to tell him how he was to be a better follower of him. So we know that we're loved because Jesus listens to us and then the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray and makes intercession for us. And then we see that God works all things for his children for good according to his purposes and to make us more and more like Jesus. And when we are more like Jesus, then we get to experience that closer walk with him and really experience the love of God. That's when your cup will start to run over with blessings that God wants for you. So remember this. You are loved by Jesus regardless of your past, regardless of your sinful deeds, regardless of your social standing, and regardless of your age. If you were raised in a loving Christian family, you are loved. 
If you were raised in the typical Aussie family, no church at all, you are loved. And if you didn't have an ideal upbringing and you don't know what it's like to have a family, you too are loved by Jesus. The love of Jesus is not dependent on your upbringing. He loves you regardless to the point of dying for you and wants a personal relationship with you. Will you accept this gift of love if you haven't already? You can call on Jesus tonight and experience his love and be born again. And that's the starting point of experience the love of God. Second point tonight, you must choose to surrender to his will. We're moving on to verses now 21 to 27. And we see at verse 21 there, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And then we read out and we see that the disciples are absolutely astonished at this. They've watched out this whole event and they just have their minds blown. This goes against everything that they thought. If you were rich, you had a great family. Obviously, God had blessed you and you had it all together. Your ticket to heaven was sealed. That's the way they thought anyway. But Jesus was about to give them a valuable lesson. This young man had it all except the most important thing, which was God in full control of his life. One of the hardest things to do in our Christian life is to truly let go and let God take the wheel of our lives. I'm currently teaching uh, my second oldest child how to drive and letting go of that steering wheel and letting him take the wheel certainly can test my nerves and the grey hairs have multiplied rapidly. But giving God full control is a totally different story. Jesus is the master driver of your life and you could not be safer than with him in control. As we saw that Jesus loved the young man, why, why would Jesus then ask him to do something that wasn't better for him in the big picture? And this is our struggle too. We can only see the here and the now. But God has got the full overview picture and has got full control. So why is it so hard to give him full control? And the reason is, is because we love what we have or who we have more than him. And this truth can be a hard pill to swallow. But when we really search within ourselves, you will find it's true. God is clear in his word that we cannot live this way and we need to make a clear choice. If we do not let God have full control of our lives, and we have some other, then we have some other idol set up in his place. We need to act and we need to deal with these idols in our lives no matter what they are. And they can be different for each of us. When I was an apprentice electrician, um, I worked with another apprentice together for about a year. He was slightly ahead of me in our time and we, we, we basically were in the same ute and we did jobs together and I got to know him really well and we, we became friends. Now he had a bit of a uh, religious background and uh, we talked a lot, uh, quite regularly actually, about things of God because every weekend obviously I went to church. So on Monday we'd talk about what we did on the weekend and I went to church and that's what I always did. So, and, you know, in our discussions, I could get him to admit that, uh, you know, he knew there was a God and he knew he needed God, but he would never make that commitment required. He would even admit that he knew the Bible was true. He knew that there was a heaven and it's a hell. But he, he told me he was working towards making money. 
And he was concerned that he would have to give away that chance of a rich lifestyle if he came to Christ. He loved this world more than God. He was close to coming to God, but his desires prevented him. His idol was the love of money. And what is your idol? Luke 16.13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And this young man that we have just read about, he had to choose between following Jesus and his possessions or his stuff. And he chose his stuff. And what I can guarantee you is that you will have, um, what I can guarantee you is that you will have your own personal thing, your stuff, that you need to make a choice between either holding onto it or letting it go and doing what Jesus wants. This stuff is the idol that needs to be destroyed in your life. Now, this, this stuff can take many different forms. For myself, uh, my stuff at that particular point in my life was my perception of what a real Christian was. If I continued on my path of pride and I refused to accept that someone else could be used by God because um, they were not what I thought a Christian should be, then I would be completely ineffective for God. And I would, not only that, I'd be risking God's um, chastening on me to bring me around. I would have been the complete story of Jonah. And my story could well have ended in anger and in bitterness. God would have needed me, to, God would have needed to make me learn some truths the hard way. Now, believe me, there have been stacks of times in my life where I've learned the hard way. But thankfully, God, in His mercy, at this, time, at this point in my life, He showed me that He had many servants and that my way was not just the only way. Elijah went through this learning too when he assumed that he was the only one left, but God showed him that He had thousands of others. So what stuff do you have that you know that God wants you to let go of and trust him with? What immediately springs to mind that you struggle to give over that prevents you from being fully sold out to Jesus? This stuff, will your stuff is your education. You were smart, you excelled at school and then at uni. You learnt about the world, you learnt about science. And now you find the way that you think contradicts what God says in the Bible. Will you surrender your earthly wisdom for the godly wisdom found in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, and yet he himself is judged of no man. If you choose not to receive the things of God, and the Bible seems foolish to you, then you don't really realise how undiscerning you actually are. You're going to wallow around in your own foolishness and if you're a child of God, he will chasten you and he will bring you around. And when you finally do come around and accept the Bible as truth, this world will think you're foolish because they cannot understand or have the Spirit of God that confirms the truths of the Bible in them, in their heart and in their mind. And that is why non-Christians don't understand that we can believe things like Adam and Eve and the flood. So sometimes your stuff might be your education. Sometimes, or perhaps your stuff might be a desire that you have. Maybe you desire marriage so much that you can't wait for the one that God has for you. Or maybe money is something that you desire, so you work so much that church becomes optional and not mandatory. Work becomes more important than God, and you choose to do extra shifts to make more money for self, and therefore choose to forsake the assembling of God's people. 
Maybe it's another selfish desire that is putting your relationship with Christ knocked off the top spot in your life. He wants full control, not just a one-a-week Christian. The stuff that causes people to second-guess their choice to follow God um, fully comes in many forms. For other people, your worldly friends could be your stuff. These are so-called friends who, when you're with them, they make you less Christ-like, not more like him. They never speak of the things of God. They never encourage your walk with him. They want to drag you down like them. Solomon struggled with this and his many wives ripped him away from God. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, it says, So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And then in the very next chapter, we read what Solomon's stuff was. 1 Kings 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, an Egyptian, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You know, that's a really sad ending for such a great king. And it will be a sad ending for you when you let your stuff stop you from following Jesus with all your heart. Make sure you know what your stuff is stopping you. Make sure that you know that your stuff is stopping you from fully committing to Jesus and following him wherever he wants to lead you. The reward of following Jesus is so much better than any temporal pleasure that your stuff will give you. If you find yourself today at the place where you've let your stuff get in the way of your relationship with Jesus, you can always turn around and repent. If you're still alive on earth and you're truly born again, then God wants you to be effective and he's waiting for you to turn around. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He came to the point where he realised his stuff, which he'd wasted away, was truly worthless. But it wasn't until he was literally in the pig pen. Luke chapter 15, in verse 17, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Just like the prodigal son, things or the stuff that we hold on to fill the void in our life that only a genuine walk with Jesus fills. If you are single, marriage will not fill that void. If you are poor, riches will not fill that void. 
If you are uneducated, knowledge will not fill that void. If you are lonely, the world will not fill that void. If you are depressed, alcohol and drugs will not fill that void. And you know why? It's because the void is a spiritual void and no earthly temporal thing can fully sold out to Jesus. Give him full control of your life. Make your decisions in life based on what Jesus would have you to do. Pour your sorrows out to him and let the Holy Spirit make intercession for you. Otherwise, you will replicate this rich young man's error and walk away from Jesus, who had the answer, in a sad, sorrowful state. Now, this, this Bible event, it can bring confusion to people. Jesus' words just don't upset that rich young man. They also upset us. In response to this passage, people often say, doesn't that mean everyone should sell what they have? If everyone did that, it would just be chaos. And obviously. <laughs> but why are we even worried about the question? Do we actually feel too possessive of what we have? Do we fear that Jesus might actually require us to do something that's going to cost us something? What are we afraid of and why do we fear? Here are some scriptures I'll finish with. And um, hopefully this will bring home the importance of being sold out to Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? And then Luke 17.33 says, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. doesn't go the way we think, but that's the way Jesus thinks. Tonight, the choice is yours. Jesus has given you the choice of committing to him or holding on to your stuff. There is no more important thing you can do than decide to follow Jesus with all your heart. The challenge for his disciples remains... Is there anything, any hindrance that you are unwilling to give up and follow Jesus? You may not be wealthy, but if there is something that you possess or that possesses you, laying it down is a vital part of following the master. He must have your all. And he calls gently to you, come follow me. Let me close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, the words of Jesus really have a way of piercing our hearts and the defences that we've built up against you and doing things your way. Please make us tender-hearted. Please expose the reservations of our hearts just like you did for that wealthy young man those many centuries ago. Please give us the grace to obey you, the great physician who alone can heal our corrupt and our deceitful hearts. Please make us whole. Forgive us, O Lord, for clinging to the, rem to the remnants of a life independent of you and please, Lord, make us wholly yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.